morning. Have you answered that question yet? We've, we've been talking about it since the beginning of the year of who are we? What does God say about our lives and what does that really mean to us of how we live our lives? Hey, welcome to Hope. My name is Mike. I'm the pastor here and really excited to see you all on this day. And I am thankful you don't have the flu. Can I get, can I get a woohoo for that? I've had more people call and say, Pastor, we've got the flu going on our house. I'm like, stay away. <laughs> we will pray for you for, from afar. Uh, it's so much going on. You know, guys, God is so good to us. And uh, I believe this. I believe he has something to say to us today. I want to encourage our, our men tonight. 6.30, we're kicking off uh, our, our first meeting, our monthly meeting, uh, walking through the, the, the thought of there's a fight to fight. And we need to learn how to fight it in a way that honors God. So I really want to encourage you to be there at 6.30. There'll be, there's, how many know there's no football tonight? Unless you count the Pro Bowl. That doesn't count, right? So, so good night, right? We're starting tonight. There'll be wings. There'll be a, a good time. 6.30 It's going to be at the Hope House at our church property. Uh, literally right across the street from the high school. We'll have a sign out if you're not familiar where that is. And I just encourage you to be there with us tonight. You know, last week we had a lot of fun talking about our identity and we talking about uh, the tribes we relate to. And I, I just had to wonder this morning, there are no Packers shirts anywhere in the house. I don't know what happened, but uh, neither are there any others. So we're just going to move past that, except for you New England people over here to my left. We're praying for y'all to get your morals straight and, you know, and all that good stuff. So just saying, you know, come on. The investigation is not done. We'll talk after church. Anyway, <laughs> hey, open your Bibles uh, to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians, we're going to dive right in this morning. We've been talking about the thought that our identity uh, in Christ really determines our, our, our walk of life. In fact, the, the theme verse we've been using for this is actually out of 1 John. You don't need to turn. It'll be on the screen. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's a certainty in that statement by, by Paul. There's a certainty in the statement by the author. He said, he said, we are the children of God. Look at the love he's lavished on us. He goes, and that's what we are. There's, there's something I believe that is so important for us to get as followers of Christ, those who are seeking to, to find their life in him, and that is that our identity really determines our destiny in life. Our, our identity determines our biography. When we know who we are, we really know what to do. When we understand how God made us and what he shaped us for, then we're able to walk with confidence in this life that we are carrying out his purpose here on the earth. Now, last week we had some fun with a, with a, a comment or a, a name that the scripture uses quite often to describe those who are followers of Christ. And, and yet it's a name that we kind of shy away from because the connotation of it takes on some thoughts that maybe we're not comfortable with. And we talk about how the Bible says that we are saints, we are called to be saints by the grace of God. Now, I told you, I, I tried it, I can't call Denise Saint Denise, it just doesn't work, uh, I, I don't want to refer to you, we're not going to call each other saints, but the understanding was, is that we have been called to be set apart to God. We've been made holy to Him, and because of that, because of His grace, we find our identity in him, and he's able to reveal his goodness and his glory through us. And here was the key last week, and that is this, that we are not sinners trying to be saints. So many times we identify ourselves just in that, that, that side of, well, we're just sinners. We're just trying. We're just trying to get by somehow. But the Word of God says, no, when we receive Christ as our Savior, the power of sin was broken over us. Our identity is no longer a sinner. We're not sinners trying to be saints. We are saints trying to become more like Christ. There's a big difference there. 
And when we understand that difference and learn to live in that, there's something powerful that takes place in our lives. So I wanted this morning to kind of take it a little further and go a little deeper into Ephesians and look at kind of another part of our identity that God says about us. And today what I want to talk about is the fact that God says we are his masterpiece. We are his handiwork. Ephesians 2.10 says this. This is out of the NIV. It says, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations will actually say masterpiece. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Father, I ask that you would help us today, God, to focus. God, I ask that you'd help us to open our lives, God, to this teaching of your word. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit, God, would just take, God, God, my attempt, God, to explain, God, the beauty of your scriptures, God, and just take it and make it alive in every single one of us today, God. That, Father, we would walk in our identity, and God, we'd walk in our purpose. So, Father, we give you praise, and God, we thank you that we have such wonderful access to your word, and God, I pray it come alive in us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever felt like you're the only person missing something? Maybe you look around you and you see gifted people and talented people and beautiful people and people that seem to have it all together, and you wonder sometimes, God, did I like fall asleep the day that you were handing out gifts and I missed that part of, of creation? You know, did I, did, I, did I really miss out on a piece of my life? Because somehow I feel incomplete or, or, or not as whole as I ought to be. And because of that, maybe you deal with some things that a lot of people deal with, and that's the things like insecurity and, and brokenness or, or, or a living life that seemingly has no purpose to it. Well, there's a truth that I want you to understand this morning that, that is so important for us to get a hold of, and, and it's simply this. The reality of life comes down to understanding that there is something wrong with every single one of us. Welcome to Hope. I'm glad I could encourage you today. My name is Mike. I'll meet you after service. We'll have coffee, right? There's something wrong with every one of us without Christ. Because you see, without Christ, every one of us are living a life that, that is based on something that is not the identity he wants us to have. Without Christ, our identity really is based on our sin or our, our separation. And because of that, we so often identify with our brokenness that we don't live in the fullness of God's creation in us. Check it out in Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, he's not talking about dead on the side of the road. He's talking about you are spiritually dead because of the life and lifestyle you are living in. In verse 3, it picks up. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, because we were all born with that sinful nature, right? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we were born into that place. That's why we need, we need that, that uh, reconciliation to God through Christ. It says, we were all subject to, to God's anger, just like everyone else. Now, I want to stop just for a second there, because we need to understand when Scripture talks about God's anger, what it's really saying to us. Because too often people have created this idea of this angry, mad deity that's sitting up in heaven basically looking for people he can squash like a bug. Looking for people he can pour out his wrath on because he's just ticked off that everything is messed up with his creation. But if you really look through the scripture from the beginning to the end, you see this image of God that for, he, for his love for us, he sent his only son to die for us. Not that he just loved taking out his punishment on his son, but he was a God that, he is a God that is anger in the sense that his masterpiece his created order, his, his beauty that he poured into every one of us has been marred because of the sin that came into this world through, through, through the original couple, through Adam and Eve. 
And through that, his love is being poured out to us to reclaim that. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how God is trying to reclaim that beauty that he put in each one of us. Pick it up in verse 4. It says, but God. I tell you, whenever you read that in Scripture, but God, you need to get excited because it's about to say something really good that happens in your life. You can take comfort at that moment that God is showing up, something's going to change. He says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Now understand something about this series when we talk about God's identity in us. I'm not going to sugarcoat where we are, because life's reality is without Christ, we're, we're living pretty messed up lives. Without Christ, we are living in the ways of the world, and the world's ways lead to death, and we have to understand that if we're going to truly try to take it and compare it to what God's life is that he wants to be lived out in every one of us. And that's why it's so important that we take this time during this series and say, God, what do you say about me? God, what do you say about my identity? And right here in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. Pick it up in verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, it's so important that we read verses 8 and 9 before we get to verse 10. Because we need to really get an understanding. We talked a lot about grace last week. In fact, if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back on the podcast, pick that up. But we need to understand that to recognize God's grace. Because salvation is not a reward for being good. Do you understand that this morning? If you you get that, say yes. Do you you get that? Salvation was never a reward for being good. In fact, it it, it can't be. There's not enough good we can do to pay for what Christ did for us when he died and rose again from the, from the grave. Because it doesn't matter how religious you are or how hard you try or, or, or what family you're born into or what church you were raised in or not raised in. Salvation is not a reward. It is a gift of God that is only by grace. And we have to understand that if we're going to understand our identity as a masterpiece. Because it's not based on what we do. It's not, it's not based on how, how great we think we are. It's based on what he says about us. It's based on what he's put into our lives. Says we are his masterpiece. Because when we are saved, we find our identity in Christ as a new creation in him. The word says the old passes and the new comes. Something changes in us. And that change is the beginning of God's reclamation process of bringing us back to that place of beauty where he created us to, to, to magnify him and to show. You see, before Christ, many of us found our identity in our brokenness or even our shame and sin. But once we accept God's gracious gift of salvation, we are remade into his masterpiece and created for his purpose. What I want to talk about today is if we are his masterpiece and we are made according to his purpose, how does, how does that work and what comes out of that? So if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down this morning. As God's masterpiece, the first thing I want you to see today in the scripture is this, that we were created for his purposes. We were created for the master's purpose. You say, well, what is that? You know, a lot of people will use good biblical terms, say, oh, well, you were created for God's glory. What does that mean? We, we were created to magnify him. What does that mean, all right? Hey, let me break it down very simply if I can. We were created for the master's purpose of being part of his plan of restoring God's creation on earth that has been so marred by sin. And in the process, overcoming the evil that is so dominant by the good that God calls us to walk in. 
You see, we need to understand that God's purpose in saving us was not an escape plan just to pull us out of this world and take us to heaven. And there, everything will be all right, right? Because if that was the case, then he might as well have taken our lives the moment we confess Jesus as our Savior and Lord. No, he has us in this time and season of life because God is restoring his creation. He's renewing his order, and he's doing it through you and I who are called according to his purpose. Now, that word masterpiece in the original language it's really that, a Greek word, poema. It's where we get the word poem. And what it speaks about is any work of art, any work of art that a, a master has placed his hand on and has led to completion. It's been described as, as, a, as a poem, a, a, a magnificent statement to the glory of God to proclaim how great he is. It's been described as a, as a tapestry. I've always, I've always looked at that. I find more meaning in that concept because when, when you see a tapestry, it's a beautiful representation of an artist's dream, what he has in his mind. But if you flip a tapestry around, it's, it's really kind of ugly. You, you see all the, all the weaving and all the different colors of yarn and everything that was brought into it. It, makes not, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but yet when, you, when the completed product is turned around, you see the image the artist saw in his mind. And that really describes a lot of our lives, doesn't it? Sometimes if you take our lives in little snippets of time and you, and you put it out and say, well, in this year this happened, in this day this happened, it can look kind of ugly, kind of jumbled and a mess because it doesn't seem to always make sense. But when the master creator gets his hands on it and he flips it around, we see the beauty of what every one of those things had to do with us becoming his masterpiece, part of his created order. David, the Old Testament uh, king, understood this. In Psalm 139, you don't need to turn, it'll be on the screen. He, he talks about this, this creation, this beauty of what God has done in us. And I want you to notice, listen to how it parallels to what Paul wrote in Ephesians. He says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, David had this image, this picture, this understanding of God's creative power in every one of our lives. That when we were created, we were shaped in our mother's womb, God had purpose, meaning, value in every single one of us. We came into this world, and, and the effect of sin had a way of kind of just messing up what that, that vision was, but yet God, through his Son, is now restoring that in every single one of us who puts our faith in him. And we have to understand it because it helps us see what God made us for. It helps us understand who we are, because when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. Can I tell you, there is no better time in history for you to be walking on this earth there's no better time in history, in the span of time of all of creation, of all eternity, God decided in this little slice of 70, 80 years, however much time he gives us on this earth, that, that we would serve his purpose best right now. I've had people tell me, oh, I, I should have been uh, raised in the 50s, or I, should have, I would have loved to live in, in the, the times of Jesus. And I'm thinking, I only live in one time. And that's the time God created me to live in because he knew. This is the best time for you and I to be existing on this earth, that God can use the uniqueness of you to reveal the uniqueness of him to a generation that needs to know him. He takes your gifts, your talents, your personality, and he weaves it all together, and he puts it out there as a witness for others to turn and to see him. You see, many people struggle seeing themselves as God's masterful creation. 
Many people struggle with this because they don't see their purpose. They have a hard time, and they run from person to person. What's my, what's my purpose? Can I find it in you? They, they run from experience to experience. What's my purpose? Can I find it there? They run from church to church, from meeting to meeting, and they, they keep seeking out, well, what is my purpose? Years back, there was a TV show that came on that kind of captured a lot of people's attention, and uh, it's not Duck Dynasty. Uh, and, it, and it was something that I really, I really got into for a while, and now it just kind of got old. But it was called American Pickers. Anybody remember American Pickers? It had nothing to do with music, right? They were, they were going out, and they were finding all these antiques, right? They were all over the country. And, and the fascinating part of that show to me was not just what they, what they bought it for, because they were very good at negotiating, but there were times that they'd come across a piece and even the owner would say, I have no idea what this thing does, right? It's just been sitting in my daddy's barn for 50 years. And, and, and every time, one of the pickers would talk about what exactly that piece of equipment did because they would trace it back to the creator. You see, when you don't know what something does, you don't ask another object to explain what that object does. When you don't know what something does, you don't form an opinion based on maybe a rumor or a thought. When you don't know what something does, what do you do? You go back to the person who created it and says, explain this to me and help me understand the purpose of this creation. In the same way, church, listen, you do not find your purpose by going from person to person or experience to experience and somehow someone's going to say something, the light's going to come on, you go, oh, now I understand. If you want to know the purpose of God's created order in you, you go back to the creator in prayer, and you lay your life before him and say, God, help me see, God, what you put in me, God, that you want others to see. And Lord, when you show me that, then God, I'm going to walk in the meaningful, purposeful life you've made for me. You see, guys, God made life with purpose. Life without purpose is kind of like time without meaning. It's just marking time. It's just going through the motions. It's just kind of showing up, breathing oxygen, trying to make it happen. And when we don't see what our purpose is, we kind of boil life down to an experiment that we hope doesn't blow up in our face. So I'm just going to kind of play around. Maybe it'll work out. Can I tell you, your life is not an experiment this morning? God in heaven didn't say, let me see what happens in, in Sam. Let me see what happens in Joe. Let me see what happens in, in Mary. No, he, he, he had a purpose when he put us on earth. And when he created us, he said it is good. So we have to understand, first of all, this morning, that we've been created to fulfill his purpose. The second thing is this. We have everything we need to do everything God created us to do. I'm going to say it again. We have everything we need to do everything God created for us to do. The Bible says in 1 Peter, first, excuse me, 2 Peter 1, he says that it says his divine power, not ours, not our abilities, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He gave everything we need to live this life. See, guys, listen, God, God doesn't call anyone to his purpose, right? Say, I, I created you for this purpose. I'm going to call you to fulfill this part of reclaiming my creation, of, of overcoming evil with good. I, I, I'm going to call you to this purpose. No, God doesn't call anyone to his purpose and say to them, you're my masterpiece. Here's what I want you to do. Now go do it. Only to turn around in a few minutes and go, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. What was I thinking about? You are definitely not the right person for that. No, God, God is faithful not only to call us, but to equip us. To put everything in our lives that we need to fulfill his purpose. Back in the Old Testament, there was a man named Moses. How many remember Moses? Y'all are really quiet today, so I've got to keep asking you to move a little bit. 
Moses was a guy that kind of had run away from his purpose, right? He knew what God had asked him to do. He was supposed to be a deliverer of the children of Israel. And he ran away from it. There were circumstances that drove him from his purpose, but God doesn't give up on your purpose. And someone needs to hear that this morning. God doesn't give up on your purpose. You may have run away from it, but guess what? God knows where you are, and he knows the timing to bring you back. And God went after Moses, and he called him to go before Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. But if you remember the story, Moses had a problem. He didn't speak well, right? Most people believe he stuttered. And, and he makes this excuse, and he says, God, why are you asking me to do this? Because I'm the least of the people you want to do this. I have a stuttering problem. I don't speak well. Certainly, certainly, God, there's someone much better than I am. And we know the story, and that is that God sent Moses' brother Aaron to be his mouthpiece. And we usually kind of say, well, see how God supplies. Isn't that awesome? Can I tell you, if you read the story, the Bible says this, God was actually mad at Moses. He got angry with him when he made that excuse. The giving of Aaron was not necessarily God's plan. It was God acquiescing, saying, okay, then, I'll help you, but I already had given you everything you need. You just need to trust me. You see, guys, when we walk according to God's purpose, we've got to understand and know that everything we need, he's put inside of us. Everything we need, he's put inside of us. And he will bring around us whatever we need to fulfill his purpose on this earth because he cares for us that much. God does not set us up to fail in his purpose. And it causes us to have to understand there are no excuses when it comes to walking according to his purpose. But to be able to have no excuses, we've got to learn to try. (laughs) To try to be what God created us to be and not to try to be what God did not create us to be. If we are honest this morning, every one of us would say, oh, I'd really rather be that (laughs) than what I really am. I'd rather be more like that person than what I really am. Oh, if I had their personality, man, life would be so much easier. If I had their good looks, if I had their finances, whatever it may be. And and we struggle with what I call the American Idol Syndrome. You know what the American Idol Syndrome is? Your mama loves you enough to tell you she thinks you can sing really good, but she doesn't love you enough to tell you you flat can't sing a lick, right? That's, That's the American Idol Syndrome. God loves you also, but if he didn't create you to sing, please don't sing, baby. All right, you know, just come on. You know, be, be far in the back, you know, hum along, whatever. God didn't create us to strive to be something we're not. He created us to be who we are, to take our unique gifts, our unique personalities, and let him weave it together. Now, now sometimes we've got to grow into that, right? Because in the moment, you may say, I know what God's calling me, I'm just not there. Church, God will grow us into it. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God, Right? He takes everything about us and he uses it for his glory. He leads us in that process. One of the things that I I recognize is the longer you walk with God and the longer you put your faith in him, it's easier to see what you are good at and what you are not good at. Remember when God spoke to Denise and I about planting hope? That was not what I thought I was good at because my history in ministry had been I was the guy that whenever there was a church that had gone through a big mess and blow up and people are like hating on each other and it's it's in jeopardy of the church falling out of existence, they'd call Mike and they would like, hey, we got a place for you. You like messes, right? And I'd go in and jump into the mess and spend seven, eight years, get them all loving each other again and get people moving forward in Christ and God would pick me right up and put me in another mess. And how many know that's not what I signed up for, but that's what God God did in my life. And I said, well, God, I don't, I, I mean, starting a church, there's no mess to clean up. 
And my favorite term became create your own dysfunction. Go plant a church, right? Because we can, uh, we can create our own messes, and we, we have some messes around hope, but our purpose is not just to, to mess with messes, right? But it's to fulfill the calling that God had in us to offer hope to a world that desperately needs to know what real hope is, that they may encounter God, experience hope, and engage in mission. So what did God do? God sent people around me, people that had gifts that I didn't have, people that came around and encouragement, people that had abilities. And before long, I could see it. I'm like, God, I see how you're fulfilling your purpose in, in someone that may be a one-trick pony, but God, you put people around so that that person is able to fulfill the destiny you made him for. You see, God will give us everything we need to do everything he created us to do. Third point I want you to see this morning. This is the one that we, I think, struggle the most with, and that is this. God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. God uses everything in your life to bring about his purposes. He has the ability to weave every circumstance together. He has the ability to take good and bad and bring it out into our lives in such a way that we grow and mature and we we become this person that reflects the image that God saw when he created us before we ever walked on this earth. Romans 8, 28, you know, most of you would know the scripture is kind of that fallback of understanding, but yet it's a scripture we greatly misunderstand. In Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. When I ask a question, you're going to have to answer. It means moving your lips this morning, okay, all right? When God says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, does all things include the good things? Okay, we're good. We got that one. We like good things. All right. Does all things include the bad things? Does it include the things we're thankful for? Does it include the things we wish never happened? Ah. You see, we have to see it through God's eyes. We label everything good or bad, right? We're quick to judge that circle. Oh, that was a bad, I just want to forget that. You know, it's like last year coming out of 2014, people were like, oh, let that year be gone and everyone have it, everyone think about it again. Can I tell you, whether it was good or bad, God was using it to shape you to fulfill the purpose he has on this, on this world. But we have to understand something, and that is this. Read the scripture again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of everyone. Is that what it says? No. No, it doesn't say that he works for the good of everyone. He says he works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. After Valentine's Day, we're going to be starting a new teaching series. We're going to be looking back at the life of a young man in the Old Testament named Joseph. Joseph was a young man that from the very early age, he's one of those rare individuals as a teenager, really knows what he was put on earth for. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he had it lined out because God put a dream in him that he was going to be a leader, that he was going to be someone who led his family. And, and his story is so crazy because when you read about it, it seems like God put him through one test after another test after another test to lead him to his destiny. We're going to talk about those tests. But some of them, if you know or are familiar with the story, Joseph was this young man that, that when he shared his dream with his brothers, man, his older brothers didn't like high five and fist bump and like, woo, we got a great young man in our family. No, they sold him into slavery. They threw him in a pit and told his daddy died. How many want those brothers in your life, right? Maybe you have those brothers in your life. God bless you. You know, but, yeah, but, but yeah, Joseph didn't sit back and go, woohoo, yay, God, slavery, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, bring it on. But it only got worse. 
He goes and begins serving in a house of a man who's a leader in Egypt. And before you know it, the man's wife accuses Joseph falsely of raping her. Now Joseph's in prison. And we don't see Joseph going, woo, yay, prison, man. This is only getting better. Come on, God. And yet in prison, God brought him in contact with some people that were influential that because God gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, God eventually lifted him out of prison, made him second in charge in Egypt, putting him over all the nation, and through his leadership was able to save the nation in the middle of a horrible famine. But not only that, he was able to protect and lead his family. And we read his story, we go, well, God, I don't want to go through that. I don't, want to, I don't want to have to go through some hard things, God. I don't want to have to, I don't want to be Romans 8, 28, okay? Let's be honest about it. God, I just want everything to be good. And God says, no. I use everything in life, everything about you, every struggle you faced. I, I use the messed up family you came from. I, I use the, the education or lack thereof. I, I use the, the experience in the workplace. I, I, I use disease. I use whatever it is because you're living in a world that sin is so affecting in our lives and has so many effects on us. God says, I don't, I don't look at that and say, I can't use it. He says, no, I will work all things, good, bad, thankful, not thankful, all things for your good. Because when God does that, he brings us to that place where we recognize that he is building us into this masterpiece that reflects his glory, not based on our own goodness, but based on who he is. You see, some people think they got it all together. I'm God's masterpiece, yeah. Because, man, I know all the things to say. I'm a nice person, I've not, you know, I've got a testimony, I've never been sick, and they go on and on and on, because after all, that must be how God works. But the Word of God says He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. He takes the things that make no sense to let this world know there is a God who loves us enough that He wants to reclaim His, His creation from the effects of sin, and He wants to drive out evil by people who are learning to be good and to love people with the love of Christ. You see, here's something I think is so key to this. God takes responsibility for you becoming His masterpiece. He doesn't leave it up to us. He takes everything about us, and he brings us to that place that he wants us to be. But I know in hearing that, some of you will protest and say, but, but I don't like, I don't like who God made me to be. I don't like where I am right now. There's some good news, and we're going to wrap it up with this. This is the last thing I want you to jot down this morning, and that is this. If you don't like yourself, then let God remake you, okay? If you don't like yourself, then let God remake you today. My favorite imagery for this comes from the Old Testament. Back in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, he made a statement that is so powerful, I think, for us to see, get that image in our mind. He says in Isaiah 64, 8, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Later, another prophet, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 18, verses 3 through 4, said, So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Hey, won't you stand with me this morning? You know, there's an amazing piece of the story of Jesus that I just want to close up sharing with you this morning, and then I want to remind you of a, of a scripture before we pray together. You know, a long time ago, God, 
God showed me something as a, as a minister that I think transformed how, how not only do I see myself, but how I work with people. And that is, you know, it's so easy to take life in that spectrum of sinner saint. You know, sinners are that group, saints are over here. But I think the understanding is that God recognizes because of sin in this world, brokenness is something that we all, we all walk in sometimes. When you begin to see yourself in that direction or you begin to see others in that fact that there may be some brokenness there, but yet you understand God is the one that's fixing that, healing that, restoring that. It changes how we see people. It changes how we see ourselves. In the story of Jesus, there was this amazing thing that happened, and that was not only did he die for our sins and, and go to the grave and, and victoriously rise on the third day because that, that's the key. If he didn't rise from the grave, then... All he was was a martyr, but because he rose from the grave, he fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah. He, he showed that he was God. But something happened in that time that is so, so often overlooked that I think is so powerful. You remember a man named Judas in the story of Jesus, anybody? You know who Judas was? Not a guy you can have coffee with, you know? Just, he, he sold Jesus out, right? He, he, he turned him in. He sold his soul for, seven, for some silver, right? And the Bible says that when Christ was, di- was died, when he died on the cross, Judas was so overwhelmed with guilt that he went back to the religious leaders and he, and he said, I can't take this money anymore. And, he, and they, they wouldn't receive it from somebody. He threw it at their feet. And sadly, he went out and took his life. But the religious leaders did something that I think they didn't even understand the power of. They said, we can't. We can't just put this in the treasury. This was blood money. They spent it. They wanted to kill Jesus. The Bible records in Matthew, it says, they took the money and they went out and bought this field. It's called the potter's field. And what the potter's field was, was the place where all the broken chips and scrap was just thrown to. Because after all, there was no use for that. And I find it so fitting that the blood of Jesus not only was the instrument of forgiveness for our sins, but the price of that blood went out and took care of all the broken pieces of our lives and of those that are all around us. And it reminds us that we need to see ourselves clearly in his identity because when we see ourselves as his masterpiece, when we see ourselves as woven together for his purposes, then we are free to minister to those who are only identified in their brokenness, those who are so far removed from that that joyous experience that we've had in Christ. Why? Because sin is identifying itself in them. But if we see ourselves only as broken, if we see ourselves as only marred or messed up, then we never will witness. We never will reach out in love to others around us. So take this message this morning. My prayer is that it gets deep into our spirit, that we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. We begin to understand what he did for us. And we recognize that even though we may not feel complete or maybe we're struggling with certain areas in our life, God is not done with a single one of us. I like that word workmanship in the NIV more than masterpiece because masterpiece in my mind says finished. And we are in Christ's eyes. He knows where he's taking us. The workmanship says his hands are still on my lump of clay. And there are days that, you know what, he has to put his thumbs a little tighter and press a little more on Mike's life because I need some change in me. But his hands are always right there. He's always shaping. He's always molding. He's always working toward the finished product. Why? 
Because Philippians 1, 6 says, I am confident. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Let's pray. Father, God, I'm so thankful that, God, you don't randomly just throw things into existence, God. Lord, your word says that, God, even in the original creation, God, you spoke and you set things up in order that life would work by your design. And I'm thankful, God, that when you made us, oh God, Lord, even, even in, the, in the original creation of man and woman, God, you said it was good, that we were, there was this completion together, God. And Father, you made us for relationship, for fellowship. God, the sin that happened broke your heart. And Father, it's, it's, it's hard for us to sometimes bring that term anger or frustration or wrath even into our vocabulary when it comes to you, God. But Lord, when we see ourselves as your masterpiece, we can understand of anyone, God, that would create something so beautiful, so right, and yet see someone else mess it up, God, that, Lord, that would lead, God, to that heart of passion, oh, God, that says, I want to reclaim that. I want to restore that. I want to overcome that. And I'm so glad, God, that that's what you're doing in each of our lives today. God, you're restoring us. You're reclaiming, God. God, you've put purpose in us, God, to be part of that reclamation, oh, God. Father, you've not given up on this earth or on these people, oh, God. Lord, you have a plan. God, that leads us to that place where one day we will see perfection. But now, God, Father, we walk according to your purpose, God. Overcoming evil with good, oh God. Loving people the way you love them, God. God, helping in that restoration of this beautiful creation you made among us. So, Father, I ask you today, oh God, in this time of reflection, this time, oh God, we respond to you. Father, each of us would take a moment and just envision ourselves right now, God, and say, Lord, how do, how do I see myself, God, compared to how you see me? God, do I really feel like your masterpiece? Do I see myself in that context, God, or do I identify more with the potter's field, the fragments, the thrown away? God, wherever we land today on that God, I pray that we would see, Father. God, even though our vision of who we are might be off, God, your vision is clear. And God, you've taken care of everything. Paid the price through your son Jesus Christ for our lives. God, I ask you today to help us, God. Help us to grow, God, in the knowledge of what you've done for us. God, help us to grow in the knowledge of who we are, God, in you. God, help us to see, God, that it was out of your great love, God, that you sent your only son for us. It was out of your great love, God, that Lord, God, he bore upon himself our sins, our weaknesses, God. God, it's by your great love, God, that he experienced everything that culminated out of sin, God, that today we could be set free. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask you this morning, we're about to enter into a time of response where we, we, we offer you to answer two questions. What is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it this morning? And, and it may be that some of you are here today and, and the greatest thing God is saying to you is he's calling you to himself. And maybe you've stiff-armed him your whole life because you're, you're mad at religion or you're mad at something that happened in life or you just don't understand why this happened or that happened. And I pray this morning you feel the loving comfort of Christ drawing you to him. The one who makes all things new. The one who helps us to 
reconcile our past to our future, the one who forgives us of our sin, the one who brings us into relationship with the Father. I pray that during this time when we pray together that you would just ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. That you'd recognize that salvation is not a reward. None of us deserve it, but you receive that gift. And you experience the newness of life today. If that's you, I just want you today to just open your heart to God and we pray in a moment, just, just proclaim with your own mouth that you want to make Jesus your Lord and you want to receive his gift of life in you. For others today, you may be here and you may have been a person going to church your whole life, but yet you've never seen yourself in God's eyes. Maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a place where you just thought oh, God was always just ticked off at you or you were never enough or you never could be enough. Understand this morning, he said, you are my masterpiece. <laughs> I have created you, I've woven together, and I'm still weaving together your life according to my purposes. And it's good. And I want you to rest in that this morning. So before we enter into this song, before we enter into a time of communion or, or the cross, before we enter into a time where you can come and receive prayer, I'm going to ask David and Selena to be ready to pray for folks on over here to my right. And wherever your response is, just let it settle in this moment. I am God's masterpiece. He created me for good works that He ordained, He foresaw for my life. Father, we pray together right now. God, help us to respond. God, let the words of this song, God, get into our spirit, God. Let it just uh, affirm, God, what we're already sensing and feeling, what you're saying to us today, God. God, let us respond with joy today, God, even as we come to communion, God, to recognize that, Lord, it's a gift. It's a gift you've given us, God. Lord, we don't come to beat ourselves up over our past, God. We come to celebrate what you did. God, that moment when Jesus rose from the grave, when everything in this world turned upside down, or should we say turned right side up, God, God, to bring us back to your plan. So, Father, I love you. I ask you to help us this morning, God. Let's respond, Lord.